0: What a blessing. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, choir. Thank you, instrumentalists. Turn to Acts chapter 12 and keep your Bibles open. We'll walk through the passage. It's a narrative. It's a story. So follow the flow of the story. There won't be points. It sometimes ruins the story to break it down to points. But just get caught in the flow of the story. We are three. You are three. Have mercy on us. We are three, you are three, have mercy on us. It was a simple prayer prayed by three hermits on an island. But it was unacceptable to the more learned church officials who went out to check on the monks. And so they spent days, spent days instructing them in the fine art of prayer and how they were praying all, long, all wrong. And after they had trained the monks how to improve their prayer life, they got on a ship and they left the island. In just a few moments, they saw three blazing images of fire coming across the water towards them. And as the fire drew closer, they discovered it was the three monks running across the top of the water. And they said, we forgot what you said about how we should pray. Would you remind us again? The official said, you just keep praying the way you were praying before we ever got here. Prayer for them was not a formality It was a force. In Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 12, look at verses 1 through 3. Now about this time, Herod, the king, laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of of unleavened bread. The apostles are now on the king's hit list. He's trying to suppress the movement of this rabbi. James has already had his head chopped off by Herod, and Peter was now in prison waiting to be next. When Herod killed It elated the Jewish leadership, and Herod wanted to score some more points with the Jewish leadership, and so he proceeded with plans to kill Peter as well. This Herod is Herod Agrippa, the grandson of Herod the Great, the horrible Herod, who was on the throne when Jesus was born. Look at verses 4 and 5. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God, placed under heavy security. Four squads of four soldiers each changed every three hours so they would be completely alert. And while he's a prisoner, the church is praying to God. Verse 6. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and shone light in the cell, and he struck Peter to the side and roused him, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off of him. It was the night before Peter was going to trial. I don't know how he slept, but he did between two guards chained on the left and chained on the right, with sentries still standing at the door to make sure there was no way, absolutely no way, for Peter to escape. Then the angel comes, there's a light in the cell. He strikes Peter, he awakens him, and he says, Get up, get up now, quick, quick, get up. And the chains fall off the left and the right. Now, interestingly enough, in verse seven, I want you to notice the word, he struck Peter. You might not know this, but there are only two places in all the New Testament where an angel strikes anyone, and both of those places are right here in Acts chapter 12. It's a strong word. It wasn't a gentle strike. It was a push. It was a get up. Yes, here in twelve seven, the angel strikes Peter to awaken him, to save him. And yet in, in verse 25, in verse 23, the angel strikes Herod, who intends to kill Peter. He strikes Herod and kills him. One angel, two strikes, one to save, one to kill. Verses 8 and 9, Peter's groggy. He's like a teenage kid. You can't wake up on a school morning. He has to tell him everything to do. Now put on your clothes. Now put on your shoes. Look at all that detail. Now put on your shoes. Now put on your Now stand up, Peter. Now one foot in front of the other. Come on, come on. Let's go with it. Let's get out. They pass by the first guards at the first door and Peter thinks he's dreaming. You've been there, you might have been there last night. What's real? What's a dream? It all meshes together. Peter doesn't know. And then they get to the city gate and miraculously the city gate just opens before Peter and the angel made it really all the more dreamlike rather than confirming the reality. The angel walks with Peter for one block and then the angel disappears and Peter awakens and Peter is all by himself. Peter then knew. Look at verse 11. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the people were expecting. Now I know. Whenever you see this statement in the New Testament, it is a statement of faith. It's an interesting construction. Now I know this is my absolute. I am sure about this. It's not a dream. God has sent an angel to deliver me. But now he's got a problem. He's free, he's out of prison. The guards will be assassinated for allowing a prisoner, a high-profile prisoner, to escape. Their lives will be on the line. Now it will be an all-out search by every guard that can be awakened to go and search for Peter. He must go into hiding. He must get out of the moonlight. He must move into the shadows. Verse 12. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered together and they were praying. Now, I want you to notice verse five again, but Peter was kept in prison, look at the aversive conjunction, but prayer for him was being made by the church to God. Peter was in prison, but they were praying for him. Verse 12, there in the home of John Mark's mother Mary, They were gathered together, and they were praying. They were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she didn't open the gate. She just ran and announced that Peter was standing at the front of the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. She kept insisting it was so, and they kept saying it must be an angel. Her name meant Rose, Rhoda. Peter's trying to be quiet, he's trying to hide. He knows the soldiers will find him gone. Rhoda is like the girl in the trial of Jesus who's in charge of the gate. She's a servant girl, and Peter's out there knocking. He's wanting somebody to hurry up and let him in before the soldiers find him. He realizes now it's not a dream. He's really had a prison, and he really needs to hide. And when she comes to the gate and sees this Peter, and she's been in there praying that Peter will be released, she's so overjoyed, she just leaves old Peter standing there at the gate, and she runs in and shouts, he's out there, he's out there, stop your praying. He He's done it. God has done it. Peter's out there. And they say, you must be crazy. Something not adding up for you. They're over in the corner praying that God will release Peter. Peter knocks at the door. Rose says he's out there. And they say, oh, you just saw his guardian angel, or you just saw a ghost. You Jews thought that after someone died, their guardian angel might stay on earth for a few days and and might appear here and there. And so it was easier for them to believe that Herod had acted in a hurry and assassinated Peter, and Peter's ghost had been seen by Rhoda. They refused to believe that God had answered their prayers. No, no, it can't be. You're crazy. You're out of your mind they said. Peter just keeps knocking out there. Let me in. Somebody let me in quick. Somebody let me in. My goodness, somebody open the door. Look at verse 16. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him, and they were amazed, or your translation may say astonished. They were amazed, or they were astonished yes time out how are you astonished that God has done the thing that you prayed for isn't this exactly what they were praying for doesn't verse 5 say don't worry about Peter being in prison but the church is praying for his release and aren't they at that very moment praying for God's protection for him How could they possibly be astonished or amazed that God has done the deliverance that they've requested? They wouldn't listen to Rhoda. Listening to Rhoda means that we are a people of prayerful expectancy. That when we pray, we expect in return that God will do great things. Listening to Rhoda means realizing that God does answer prayer and God does work in mysterious ways through the Spirit and even in the details of our life, sending people our way and putting the servant girls there to say at the right time, at the right place, that we become bearers of the kingdom of God. The traditional church is spent... Centuries trying to silence the Rhodas of this world. Started when she first announced Peter was here. Rhoda is the one that brings the fresh message of God that you have prayed and God has answered. And why on earth are you surprised? They're on their knees in the house, praying for Peter's release. God releases him, and Luke tells us they're amazed. Fred Craddock tells a story of making his hospital rounds one morning as a pastor. A lady in a bed her door was open It's happened to me before i understand she saw him and said you come in here to me she was on his list he checked but she was calling the preacher in and so he went in me me you want me well if you're a preacher i want you she said and he came in and he said kind of startled well ma'am she wasn't on the list didn't know her What is it you want me to do for you? And she really acted like she was a little bit upset. Well, I want you to pray that I'll be healed, of course, she said. What do you mean, what do I want you? You're a preacher, aren't you? I want you to pray that God will heal me. And he prayed... And all of a sudden, the woman began to stretch and move in the bed, and she jumped up and disconnected tubes and wires, and she started shouting, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, and unquestionably, she really was healed. Craddock, a traditional minister, says he went back to his car in the parking lot, and he grabbed his steering wheel, and he leaned his head against the steering wheel, and he said, Lord, don't you ever do that to me again. the early church prayed that way without expectancy craddock prayed that way without expectancy and i fear that some of you join me sometimes in praying that way rhoda might be more naive than the rest of the community of believers. She might not know as much as the leaders who are in there on their knees praying, but she knows when God acts. And sometimes we're bothered by those who see God in every blade of grass, attributing to Him every minute detail of their life, and they're so syrupy, spiritual, they're not even pleasant to be around. And so sometimes reacting against the overdone, we don't do. Sometimes there's a crust and a callousness to us. Sometimes we're theological veterans who pray with very little expectancy from God. It does us good to listen to Rhoda. The late Milton Cunningham tells the story, he talks of a Rhoda in his life and in the life of Barbara, his wife. He was a pastor of the Westbury Baptist Church in Houston and chaplain of Baylor and a friend of mine. A letter came to Dr. Cunningham's home and it didn't have his name on it, it didn't have his street address on it, it didn't even have the right city on it. There was nothing that should have made that letter come to his house. So he just tossed it in the trash and said to his wife, Barbara, this is strange for us to receive this lady's mail. (laughs) The name's wrong, the street's wrong, the city's wrong. There is nothing right about that letter. I mean, sometimes you get your next door neighbor's mail and, and sometimes you get the mail from the lady who lived there 10 years ago, but rarely do you ever just get a stray piece of mail where nothing matches at all. He threw it in the trash. Wasn't going to fool with that. His wife, Barbara, was bothered. She said, that's, that's not junk mail. That's nice stationery. I'm going to get it to the lady. And she called information and tried to, to get the lady. And finally, she cross-referenced uh, the address, and bingo, she found the lady. And she made the long-distance phone call to the lady who was in the Metroplex and said, you don't know me. I've got a piece of mail with your name on it. The lady said, oh, it's just junk mail. I'll throw it away. She said, no, ma'am, it's written on nice stationery. It's from North Care Lina. The lady began to weep. It might be a letter from my son. My husband and I divorced years ago and my man my husband was a man of great wealth and he told the boys that if they had anything to do with me they could have no part in the family business and I haven't heard from either of my boys since they were little. Barbara readdressed it with the right address. In a new envelope and sent it forward. Three months passed and she called the lady and the lady said, I wanna thank you for sending me the letter. It was for my son, he graduated from A&M, he's going to med school and if I had not responded to his first time to reach out in a decade, he would have thought that I had no interest in him. And of course I do. Our relationship has been reestablished. And then Barbara, Cunningham and that lady met in Hillsboro, Texas once a month month for Bible study together. A stray letter, but not really stray at all, was it? Are you listening to Rhoda? Are you looking for those divine appointments? The older I get, the more that I do look for those, the more I realize my control is small and God's... It's huge. Thursday afternoon, I went to an Emerald High girls' basketball game, Emerald High versus Nazareth. The man behind me was the sweetest man. He had a big voice and he talked the girls through every play. And it wasn't just his daughter he was encouraging, but he was encouraging everybody. Nothing negative, all positive coming from him. And finally, I turned around and I asked, which girl, just on a whim, no reason to do so. Which girl is your daughter? Are you, he said, are, 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 are you that? I said, I'm, I'm Howie Batson. Oh yeah, I thought, I thought I recognized you. He said, that's my daughter, Bree. We buried my other daughter on Monday, hit head on by a drunk driver. Would you talk with me? Would you pray with me? He teared up. I teared up. Another member from First Baptist Church was there, and she teared up. And we talked and we shared. And he said, what I ask you today He said you're a man with a microphone would you tell the people to love and hold their children every day as if it is the last day he's watching this morning I made him that promise his name is Mike his wife the mom's name is Jackie the daughter playing ball that day was Bree and they are grieving their daughter named Brooke, listening to Rhoda, knowing that even as you pray and as you walk, that God is guiding and directing you to be at the right time, at the right place, when you think you're off work and now you're at a ball game, it's your most important work. Howard Hendricks tells a story about a man who came to know the Lord on a Thursday evening. On Sunday, he showed up for church, and he found out they were having service Sunday night, and he showed up again on Sunday night. And, well, he found out they were having a prayer meeting on Wednesday night, and he showed up on Wednesday night and realized it was a meeting where they prayed together. And he said to the pastor, Howard Hendricks, do you think they'd mind when it came my turn if I went ahead and prayed? Oh, that'd be great, said the pastor. That's why we're here. Well, yeah, I know, but I don't know how to pray like the rest of you know how to pray. Uh, That's not a problem, the pastor said. You just share your heart. They started praying. You could tell the man was nervous. When it came his time, the pastor put his hand on his back, and the man prayed this way. Lord, this is Jim. Jim. I'm the one who met you last Thursday. I'm sorry, Lord. I don't know how to say it like the rest of these people say it. But I want to tell you the best I know how. I love you, Lord. I really do. Thanks a lot. I'll see you later. Amen. The prayer ignited the whole prayer meeting, the pastor said. We had been busy busy visiting the Milky Way with our theological concoctions, and we had lacked the earnestness and the expectancy of the man's simple prayer. I appreciate those of you who gather on Wednesday and pray with our church body. We have a great crowd, and and Wednesday night, a young lady came in and said, we prayed for my sister last week, it was a very high-risk surgery, and God has answered our prayers again. When you pray, the God you call upon will finally come. And even if he does not bring the answer you want, he will bring you himself. And maybe that's the secret at the heart of all of our prayers. Maybe that truly is what we're praying for. Listening to Rhoda. Praying with expectancy. Seizing divine appointment. The Almighty has placed at your feet that you might be a bearer of His hope, His joy, His grace, and His love. Let us pray. God, I've told Rhoda to hush a million times. I've got the ministry planned, I've got the service planned, I've got the day planned, and I don't need interruptions by Rhoda. And yet it is Rhoda who carries your word. It is Rhoda who carries your joy, your hope, and your love. God, there's some here even this morning for them. This is their hour of divine appointment. And it's this moment and this day when they come with their home watching on television or they're here in this great congregation. I want to give my life to the Lord. I want to be all in with him. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. That's your prayer. It makes you just like me and everybody else here in this room. There are others, oh God, today is their day to reach out and and join hands with a church family that will pray expectantly, that will hope when the world gives them no hope, that will love when the world is only serving hate. In the name of Jesus, we pray.